no pressure. Um, yeah, so, uh, if, <coughs> sorry, coming through. Uh, I'll just uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much um, Are you with us. And I just pray now, I just pray that you would just come and speak into lives. Um, we're not here to get our heads enlarged, Lord. We're here to, um, to change. And I pray that my words would be powered by your spirit to change lives today, that we'd go out here different and that the world would be a different place because of what was said and because of what you did in this room, Father. I just thank you so much. Amen. All right, um, do I need that, uh, the little dingus? Merci. Click. Oh, yes, it works. Right. So um, I spoke a few uh, weeks ago on beauty, which is my, like, love. You know, I love talking about beauty. I love, um, I just love the idea of it. I think that beauty makes life worth living. Um, and, you know, there wouldn't be any point without it. And actually, I spoke a bit, just to recap quickly, um, that the, the beauty doesn't need a reason. We don't need a reason to create something. Um, that, that, you know, the third or the, the fifth word of the Bible is in the beginning, God created. That the first thing that God did, the first adjective ascribed to him is that he created. And that God is a beautiful artist. And, um, and that beauty is like deep down um, core of who he is and he gives us beautiful things and we're able to uh, create beautiful things and we see beautiful things like I say beautiful things make life worth living and yet these beautiful things that are a doorway into heaven can so often become idols that we end up worshiping and that was like the first talk and, um, and then I was asked to do another talk and I thought well I'll do beauty again I'll just say the same thing again. But then I thought, no, I'll change it because, you know, I, first, I did the first five words in the first talk, you know, in the beginning, God created, and then it was good. And that's kind of where I finished. And so I'll do the rest of the Bible today. So I've got like 30 <laughs> minutes to, uh, to kind of go through really um, the bigger picture and how I think God beauty fits into the massive story that is... God's story. And then essentially what the meaning of life is involving beauty. So I'm trying to do something quite um, big this morning. <laughs> but I think it is quite, it's quite simple at the end of the day. So let's, let's start, right? On the sixth day, because you know, he creates all these things and he says it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. On the sixth day, he created um, man. It's just, this was working before, as they always do. On the six, see, when I click it, you can just click and it can look like it was me. Um, <laughs> he created man in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Dot, 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 skip a bit. And God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. I mentioned last time that this word good in the Bible is actually the word tobe and it, it can equally be translated as beautiful. And that when you're saying very good, it's mehod tob. And that means like an abundantly, muchness, uh, forcefully beautiful. It means like, you know, just 
massively beautiful. So God created like these stars and he created um, uh, animals and complex life and he created cosmoses and galaxies and supernovas and all this incredible stuff that we'll probably never even explore half of it, um, at least in our lifetime. And yet, that was just good. And it took humans, it took us to make it forcefully good, to make it massively good, to make it unbelievably good. And I think a lot of us know this, um, but I think a lot of us know a lot of what I'm going to say, but I think that uh, it's really important still um, to say it. So it's not just um, you as well, like he created you. You are incredibly beautiful. Um, everyone in here uh, is created in the likeness of God. Um, everyone out there is created in the likeness and in, in his image. And they have this beauty, this goodness, this abundant, abundant, forceful beauty within them. And I didn't stop with you. Like, he created us. He created male and female. He created family. And he created community. And he created um, people to, to, to blend together. And community is really multifaceted. Like, it's got loads of flavors. If I look in this room, I know a lot of people in this room. And I know how different we all are from each other. And we all think that we're normal and everyone else is weirdos. That's just <laughs> the way it is. Because we're so unique. And yet... Like there's something that, that God himself is, we say he's big, he's bigger than you could ever imagine. And he's big in every way. He's big in his character and his personality and his likes. And we, like, I will never be able to reflect truly who God is on my own. Like it is amongst, it is with us, it is when there is a unifying togetherness that he created. And in the garden, we had this unified togetherness. We had the sphere of heaven, we had the sphere of earth, and they were totally together. And man walked with God, and, he, and, um, and, and it, was, it was beautiful, yeah. essentially. Um, and then, like, I just want to say that a bit of my story, which I think is useful. So, I grew up... Um, I'm going to take another drink. Never good at that, taking drinks mid-flow. So I grew up in uh, like a you know, Christian, good Christian family, good Christian home and stuff. But, um, and like, you know, there was loads of great stuff that I had. But I also had this thing where I looked at myself and I thought, whether it was the teaching that I was getting, whether it was people, whether it was church leaders, whatever it was, I believed that a Christian had to look like something. And there was this external picture of what a Christian looked like, you know, Christian didn't swear, he didn't drink, he didn't do silly things, he didn't, he stuck by the rules and he did it well, you know, and he was a good boy, essentially. And, you know, I couldn't have drawn a picture of what it was, but I knew that I was falling short of this external Christian image. And I hated things about myself. I was always like, I want to get rid of that, I hate that about me. That thing in me that I always do, that I want to do, I hate it. I need to crucify it, you know. And um, this thing's going to fly off. Um, and, and I remember having a chat with Phil uh, Ford, a great man, a few years ago. 
uh, quite a few years ago, and I remember him saying, because I was talking about the, like, the recklessness in me, because there was something in me that was always like reckless. I was always that stupid idiot who jumped off a roof because people dared him to, or like, you know, always getting injured for stupid reasons. And we used to have this club in primary school where we'd just jump out of trees, and that was like, and the higher status in the club was the higher tree you could jump out of. So <laughs> I'm going to have like back problems forever. But I was like the leader of this club, so you know, it was all worth it, really. But um, I had this like reckless attitude that I hated about myself. I was like, you know, like I can't trust myself every time I'm like with people. I just need to be that person who does like something crazy. And like, Phil helped me realize that actually there was there's a beauty within that recklessness. That actually, there's something within that that God loves, and that God made for a reason. Um, and beauty is interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just, everyone has a different idea of what it is. You know, like, there's beauty in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And I went to see it and like, I was brought to tears and it was amazing. But equally, I've been brought to tears by the little kid in the acoustic stage singing a tune. Or I've been brought to tears by a rock song. Um, maybe not an early 70s rock song, Andy, but you know. <laughs> But then to him, <laughs> to him there is beauty within that as well, you know. Led Zeppelin is the height, <laughs> whereas, whereas for me, you know, it would be different. And, um, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> and, uh, but this idea that, you know, there's beauty within, within the Mona Lisa and within a Michelangelo masterpiece that took, you know, years to plan and think of and paint and is perfect, and yet there's so much beauty within a child's drawing that... They draw out of pure love for their parents, or something like that, you know? Um, and like, we have these people in history who, 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 were, who were all weirdos, <laughs> and they didn't get on with anyone. People like, like, I thought of a few, I could take, think of loads, but I thought of like Churchill, for instance, or maybe um, Isaac Newton. Now, Isaac Newton, I mean, he wasn't hard to, he was really hard to get on with, and when you read about some of the things he did, you understand why. I mean, like, once he, Aside from being a genius, he once put a needle into his eye and he pushed it as far as he could until it was touching the retina and his reason was just to see if it would damage his eye. <laughs> yeah, you've got two of them, so why not, you know? And, and, um, so he was a total weirdo. He's got like Alan Turing. I watched this um, the amazing uh, film with Benedict Cumberbatch being Alan Turing in the World War. He was the first guy to really create a computer. He was absolutely brilliant, and his life was ended tragically short um, because, of, uh, because of basically people disagreeing with, 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 with his life. And it's really sad um, that the judgment upon his life caused him to end it. And, and you have Winston Churchill, who, like, you know, as soon as the war was won, he was like, you know, nowhere to be seen again, just back into his, into his problems. And you have these people who had things about them that they probably hated. And they probably thought, I wish I could just get on with people sometimes, and I wish that I could just be normal, I wish that I could just do this. And yet, they were the one person in that one time who could change history, and who could save people's lives, and who could invent incredible technological advances. You know? And God has put unique beauty within us all, within a community, so that together we can create something incredibly beautiful.
And it's not just with, with it's people in the Bible as well. You know, you read the Bible and you see different personalities and they don't always get on like Paul and Peter having a big fallout and Barnabas and whatnot. And you see John, who's like this really like poet and you kind of get the idea that everyone thought, oh, such a sissy boy, you know, like <laughs> cuddling up to Jesus all the time. And then like you got Peter, who's just like super boisterous and, and you got Paul, who's like can write a million books in 10 seconds. And they're all just such personalities and different and God uses them all and they're not all 100% right. It's not like we can just say, oh, well, I agree with all Paul's writings, but Peter, I thought, was a bit off. It's like, truth isn't like that, <laughs> you know? It's, it's about, actually, there was amazing truth within each of these different people and the way that they saw the world in a different way. And you see the world in a different way, and we need each other. I need your opinions, your worldview, your history, all of this to help like, we, we, no man is an island. No, no, we can't, like, hold everything as one person. We need each other. Um, so we start with one. Created, created us very good. We are God's masterpiece. Humanity is God's masterpiece. They're the pinnacle of his creativity, which is pretty amazing to think that we're the pinnacle of God's creativity. But then, as we know, things went wrong. And, you know what, for whatever reason, uh, the two spheres were separated. Heaven and earth were no longer in mutual harmony. Anger, uh, mistrust, fear, hatred, lust, all these things uh, came into the world, bitterness, jealousy, whatever it was. And we get to a point in Genesis where God says, I'm still only in Genesis and it's five past, this is bad news. And God says, it grieved him in his heart. And it's like, it's a really sad part of the Bible, isn't it? It's probably the saddest verse of the Bible. Now we can go home and try and find the saddest verse of the Bible, but probably not a great, great use of your time. Um, I'd say that that was probably one of the saddest verses of the Bible, that God looked at creation and he was grieved. And not only that, he was sorry he had created it at all. And you think, oh my goodness. That's the heartbreaking part of the story. That's like where Luke just found out that Darth Vader was his father. You know, like that is that part of the trilogy where all seems hopeless. And, you know, there'll be a part in Lord of the Rings which is like that as well. Where they all break apart and you're like, no, it was the fellowship, you were together, you know? And because all these great stories reflect this great story, really. But, you know, that's another point. Um, but then we, we get to this point at the end of Noah's story where God makes a covenant with Noah. He says, I'm never going to flood the world again. And what he's really saying is, I'm never giving up on this world. And then we get to, like, the best part. Look at that. I love this verse. I think it's just, like, one of the best verses. You know, it helped me understand the entire Bible, this one verse. In Genesis 12, a man called Abraham comes along, and God chooses this man, Abraham. And he says all these great things over his life. And then at the end of verse 3 in chapter 12, he says, In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that is, like, setting up the entire story. It's not, you know, like, Phil had a great sermon weeks ago where he said, like, what is your gospel? 
And I would challenge you this morning to have, maybe ever think about that. What is your gospel? Like, is your gospel that God came to die for your sins so that you get to heaven? Is that, is that the gospel? Is that what we call the gospel? Um, it's a question that I'm throwing out there. But at the beginning of this story, this narrative, God says to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, and then it gets to further covenants after that. We go from Abraham, we get to like Moses, and we get to David, and so on. And I'm going to, um, we don't have time to go over all of these, unfortunately. It would be great. Um, but we, we, we fast forward to the nation that God chose from Abraham, Israel. This nation who we're going to bless all the families of the earth. And we have David building this incredible nation. He hands it over to Solomon, his son, and he gives him this nation. And Solomon asks God for anything. God says, what do you want? And Solomon says, wisdom. And it's like, yeah, and everything's going great. And he builds this incredible temple. And at the height of Israel, you have got this amazing, amazing nation um, who are beautiful. The people are happy to some extent. The and they are blessing the world. And we see, just a bit of lag, um, but it's great. Uh, from all the nations, so this is 1 Kings 4.34, Solomon's Israel. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by the kings of the world who had heard his wisdom. So the whole world was coming to Israel to hear about the wisdom that Israel had. Does that happen in the church? I hope so. And then the queen of Sheba saw that all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built and the food on his table and the seating of his officials and the attendant servants in the robe and the cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. And she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and health, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who is delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you a king to maintain justice and righteousness. This was a nation that was bringing justice and righteousness to the entire world. This was a nation that God had set up and the whole world were coming to see it because they thought this is incredible. And not only that, they also had this incredibly beautiful temple which was filled with the glory of the Lord. The cloud came down and filled this temple. And Josephus, a Jewish writer, writes of the temple. He says, if you'd not seen the temple, you didn't know what beauty was. So at the heart of this nation, you have this beautiful, beautiful temple. And you have this beautiful king who is leading in wisdom. I mean, we don't always understand it. Like, you give a baby to him, he'll threaten to chop it in half. But, you know, it, the whole world came to see this amazing, amazing light. And they were, um, they were amazed by it. It was essentially blessing the world. It was doing what it was meant to do. And um, to some degree. <laughs> and we all know, though, that that didn't last forever, did it? And Solomon's life didn't end in the same glory that it started, sadly. And 
Then he handed it to his son, and that went from bad to worse. And then the next, and it just went worse, 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 worse. And then you had like Hezekiah, and then you had like Josiah, and then worse, 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 worse. And you know, like there was a few glimpses of restoration, um, of bringing it back. But most of these kings were serving foreign idols. They were sacrificing children, some of them. They were um, obsessed with sex and money and greed and injustice and inequality. And it was a sad, sad story. And you thought, wow, great start, God. You got so far, and now it's all, oh, I'm going to have to keep doing this forever. God has cursed me with tiny ears. That's a blessing. Thank you, God. There's a use for these tiny ears. Right. But just not holding microphones to my head. Okay. Um, and so we have this story, and then we get to uh, just before Jesus comes. And Israel are waiting. This is, I might just use a handheld mic. I can do that. Yes. Ben, can I uh, turn? There we go. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm a sound guy as well. I know exactly what it's like. <laughs> I'm always there. Someone's waving at me. I'm like, um, anyway, that's what we do. Um, so it's we get to Jesus, and you have the Israel nation, and we wonder, like, what were they waiting for? So. Oh, thank you very much. They were in, like, they, they, they let's get a picture of where, where they were, right? So they had been a nation who was affecting the world. They had been a nation who had the glory of God, the one God in their temple, and they had this beautiful cloud. And then um, they had it gone from bad to worse, and eventually they had been exiled from their own country. They had kind of got back. They'd rebuilt the temple to some degree, but the glory of God had never come down to this temple. And it was nothing compared to what it used to be. And furthermore, they had no kind of influence in the world. The Romans treated them as their slaves, basically. And they were thinking, we want this Messiah to come along and build back Israel to that amazing, wonderful thing that it could be so that we could be a blessing to the entire world. You know, that's what these people were waiting for, as well as other things. You know, when I talked about what the gospel is, I think that when we say it's just, Jesus come, die for my sins, I go to heaven, it's tiny. And it's, it's so small, it's almost not true, because the gospel is massive. And the gospel is way bigger than that. And one of the big parts of the gospel is that this, that Jesus came and he he, he died, and he rose again, and when he rose again, we all know what happened, don't we, in the temple? The curtain ripped. And we, we know, like, that when the curtain rips, it says in the Bible, it says in Hebrews and whatnot, that we, we can go into the Holy of Holies, and we can experience God's holiness. But what also happened is that the, te- the curtain ripped, And God's spirit all of a sudden burst out of the temple and into the whole world. All of a sudden, these two spheres of heaven and earth, they weren't just like touching at one point, David, Gideon, Solomon, this and that here and there. It was ruptured over. And all of a sudden, his spirit was pouring out everywhere, all over the place from Pentecost onwards. And um, we see that the, uh, the church is born. And it's interesting that 
you know, it mentions it throughout the New Testament that the church is, we're to be the new temple, living stones in the temple. I don't know what the next slide is, but I'm going to guess that it's something to do with that. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Um, it also says elsewhere that we are living stones in 1 Peter. Um, and the Bible is a massive story of God redeeming his beautiful creation. And if we were to, you know, boil it down to one little thing, I think that word is redemption. God created something incredible. It was stripped of its glory. And God decided not to give up on it and to bring back and redeem what he had created. And here's another thing that I find really profound about God is that he could have come down at any moment and blasted us. <laughs> he could have just been like, what you want us? And I'm like, ooh, I'm doing the right thing. Ooh, I want to do the right thing all the time. This is weird. I don't want to be nasty. I don't want to do that. You know, like he could have done that. And he also could have like, you know, just followed us around because like he's omnipotent and he just imagine like peering over our shoulder. Nope, nope, probably don't want to do that. Okay, yep, yep, cross there. You know, like just kind of always edging over and looking over us and just keeping us right. But God's never done that. And from the very beginning to the very end, he's always used people. And he has always been really, really, really patient. You know, like when Jesus came, I've heard criticisms of Jesus. I know who would criticize Jesus, but it happens. And they, they say like, you know, but he didn't really abolish slavery and he didn't really abolish gender inequality and he didn't really abolish inequality and poverty and stuff, did he? Like, he, he, like Jesus, he's God. If, if God came, surely he would like do something like that. And I find that quite amazing that God is so patient that actually he was like, you know what, I'm going to let old Billy Wilberforce get the glory for that one. And I'm going to actually give my spirit to people, Martin Luther King and various people throughout history. I'm going to let man fix the mess that man started. And when I say man, I mean humankind, of course, you know. I'm going to let humanity redeem what was stripped from it. So much so that God sent his son as a human, 100% human. We always want to be like, and 100% God. Oh, don't remember about that. He's 100% human. Let's just stop there for now. Just, just for the crack. You know? So, he came um, to release his spirit so he could do that. And another point, like, this is the part of the service where I should, I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't. Okay? I'm just going to put it out there. And I know that this is Hope Church, so you're all like, I hope he says it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you like. <laughs> And then, I'm just going to build the suspense because this is, it's my wife in the room. No, she's not. It's okay. Right. So I'm going to do something that should never be done. I'm going to criticize a Disney film. I know. I know. There's no kids in here, are they? Close their ears. If they're. And that Disney film is, has anyone heard of the film Frozen? Yeah. Oh, there's a hush now. 
don't have to do this, right? But I watched this film, and I thought, like, I'm not going to watch Frozen. It's about princesses and stuff. I don't care. And then Naomi was like, you've got to see it. I love it. And, you know, to Naomi, criticizing a Disney film is like criticizing the baby Jesus himself. You know, like, you just don't do that. So we've had discussions, and st- she still holds that it. it's the best film, you know, and I can't, but I'm wrong. Anyway, I'm still going to say it. Because I watched the first 40 minutes, and I thought, this film's amazing. And then I had to go and like, do the dishes or something. And so I thought, like, I'm so surprised. It's like an epic. Like, it's like a girl, and like, she ends up getting like, abused, essentially, by her parents, and then turns into an ice queen. And you see, like, actually, the ice queens in Disney aren't just like this evil force, but actually they started out as a little baby, maybe, who then got taught fear instead of love, and who became, through all their insecurities, this person who didn't know, all of a sudden, how they'd got into an ice castle and were hurting people, but they were. And they were confused and they were lost and they were scared. And I thought, this is great, (laughs) you know. Not because it's great, but because I thought this is setting up for a a great story. This is like all the great epics. This should be a trilogy. I was hoping for a trilogy, I think. And then I just wanted to see her become like a full ice queen. And like, just, yeah, battles and epicness. And then, like, I watched the last 40 minutes and it was just like, oh. Like, what happened? I was like, I couldn't explain it at first. I was just like, you know what? Like, the film just kind of ended, and it was just kind of, it just kind of was different the second half. I mean, it had that song, I suppose, um, <laughs> that everyone loved. But apart from that, I wasn't that impressed. And when I thought about it more, I, th- I realized what it was. And it really kind of bugged me. It was the fact that it got to the end, and, you know, she's then, I'm not spoiling it for anyone I'm going to just close your ears or something yeah but it got to the end and she's like there's still all this snow there's the problem the problem is that there's loads of snow and they're like everyone's sick of snow now okay and we need to get rid of this snow and so she's like well how do I get rid of the snow okay and she goes love and it just goes Bring! and all starts turning so she's like love love and she just like gets rid of all the snow and you're like yeah that's great just love love gets rid of snow and stuff but what i'm annoyed at is that it trivializes the whole point of redemption it's that redemption isn't easy it's like when you've gone through that much trauma and abuse and you've got to a point where you've built a snow castle and you're wanting to kill your sister you can't just go love and all of a sudden (laughs) and that's what we're teaching our kids (laughs) You know, don't let me run, okay? But I'll stop there. It's that actually, you know, the, 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 the sentiment is correct, but it doesn't work like that. Redemption is tough, and it takes a long, long, long time. And God isn't about just a quick fix. I mean, he does come, and he comes in amazing ways, and he fixes us, and he heals us, and I'm not saying that, and we should always expect that, want that, hope for it. But we should also know that God is a patient God and he's in it for the long haul. And, you know, um, God is a passionate, steadfast, consistent God. And true redemption takes courage, consistency, and keeping on going for the thing even when it seems impossible. Even when it seems like all hope is lost, continuing to go. And that is what builds character. That is what builds fruit within us. Um, 
And so we get to our role, and you know, I'm part of a, a teaching team in Hope, which is led by the, the wise bearded one. If you, haven't, if you haven't gazed upon his beard of wisdom yet, then it may not be around f- forever, so you should get a selfie with him. <laughs> He's a great man, and he is full of wisdom, even without the beard. And, um, and also Matt McIndoe, who is a tower of amazingness. Like, he just brings such clarity to the group. And we're trying to figure out, like, we've, we've, we've been a, like a group for months, haven't we? And we, we still haven't actually done anything. But we've had some great chats because we're trying to figure out, like, what really is the point of what we're doing? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we doing and, and, and why are we doing it? You know, and it's taken us this long because we're a teaching team. <laughs> we just ponder. Um, but this word that has come up over and over again is continuing narrative. It's the idea that the, that the gospel, the Bible, the story is not a dogma. It's not a sentence. It's not a little thing you can plaster up on your wall and say, that's, that's it. It's a continuing narrative. This started right back with Noah and Abraham all those thousands of years ago. And it didn't end with the book of Revelation. It ended it still goes on, that we're actually a part of this continuing narrative, that God is still revealing things to his children, and he still wants us to, to be this. Um, like, we are the beautiful temple now. This church, our church, the churches of Glasgow united, the churches of Scotland, of Britain, of everything, we are the temple. The world is meant to flock to us to see wisdom and justice and righteousness. We're meant to be the thing that actually brings life and meaning and beauty to this world. We're meant to be a thing that the world looks upon and gazes at like a wonder of the world and they just go, wow. Yeah? Which is, I mean, is that what we are? In Revelation 21, we get to the, the end of the book now. I don't know if I've got that as a thing. No? No. Go back on. Oh. Revelation 21 talks about the, the church is the bride of Christ. You know, if a bride is anything, she is beautiful to a groom. And we are creating this beautiful thing. And we have a personal responsibility for this. Actually, redemption is, is on a personal level as well. Like, we all have stuff that's messed us up. We all have insecurities. We all have pains and hurts and things from the past. And we can often ignore them. And as we get older, I find it's easier and easier to ignore them. And you lose more and more. You just say, that's just me, you know? But actually, there's a, there's a part of us which, which should seek redemption in our own life and becoming that beautiful, beautiful temple, whatever it is, where it's talking, we need each other for that, where it's talking and praying and and sozos and things like that to help us to actually um, realize who we are, because there's not an external picture of a Christian. God's made you, and he wants you to find out who you actually are, and then go after that. And seek um, to be filled in a greater and greater way, saying yes to him. 
Um, and then there's also um, the idea that there's, there's the communal aspect of redemption. You know, we are to actually redeem uh, the world around us um, in our own lives and our families and our communities and our workplaces, everything. And um, like God, I was thinking about this. I was in, I went down to Carlisle the other day for my last day before work started and it was a really sunny day and I thought, yes. And uh, Naomi was like, do you want to come out and see people? I was like, no. And I just sat in the garden and I read and it was beautiful and sunny. And then I picked up my wee camera um, and I love taking photos and I just went around and started taking photos of random things. And I came across this like iron pole, which is like brown and rusty. And I was surrounded by these trees. And in the sun, I just looked at it and I thought, flip, if... I had the correct lens and the correct camera, and I was the correct photographer. I could take a really good photo of that. And I'm apparently not those things, so I'm not going to show anything on the PowerPoint. But nevertheless, like, I realized that photography, like a good photographer can be stood amongst like 10 other photographers, be taking a picture of the same thing, and yet they capture something that no one else does. And it's really hard to put your finger on what that is. They capture like a moment, whether it's people, like they can capture these certain moments in people's expressions or whether it's like an object, they can capture it from the right angle with the right light in the right frame to make it come alive. And so all of a sudden that iron pole, the most mundane thing I can possibly think of becomes an object of beauty. And I think of like God as this divine photographer, like he is looking uh, mundane, ordinary things and finding incredible beauty in them. And us to following God's line, that's kind of like what our job is. That's kind of like what the point of life is, to be that photographer who goes around finding broken people, broken lives, broken communities, broken nations, and bringing beauty out of them. Because God created it very, very flipping good. And it is full of his glory and his goodness within it. And so often it's hard to actually find that and see that and we can end up focusing on the wrong things and taking crap photos. You know, like, you can, like, be stood at a sunset. We've all been there. You see this amazing sunset. And you get out your mobile phone, you're like, whoa, I can't wait till I show people this. Click. You go, look at this sunset. And they're like, great. It's like some yellow megapixels on a screen. You know, (laughs) like... And then, you know, the guy was there with his flashy camera and he manages to get an incredible sunset. And he manages to actually capture something that he didn't think was possible to capture with a photograph and he managed to do like a pretty good job of it. And, you know, if we, if we focus on the wrong things, um, we're not actually going to become a blessing to all the families of the world. Um, and so I want to finish with one last verse, my favorite. Actually, don't, don't show it just yet, actually. So, th- my favorite theologian in the world, who I love reading, is a guy called Tom Wright, and he's an absolute legend. And he wrote this amazing book called Surprised by Hope, which changed my life. And he was talking about this 1 Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians 15, and it gets to 
And it's talking about the bodily resurrection. It says, at the end of all time, so we've gone from the beginning to the end, almost covered it all. The end of all time, our bodies are going to be resurrected. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. We are going to be like this beautiful creation. So therefore, don't bother doing anything because it's all going to get recreated anyway. It doesn't say that, thankfully. Okay? It says, after all of that, there's going to be a resurrection. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's all going to change. He says... Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I think that's amazing that in the light of it all getting recreated, he says, don't stop recreating. And I think that, and, and Tom Wright says so amazingly, he says that, that every piece of redemptive work that we do, whether it's in our own lives, whether it's in our families, our communities, our nations, whether it's together, whatever it is, every piece of redemptive work is of eternal significance. It's actually going to be a part of the fabric of this new creation. Like he uses this picture that when you were creating a cathedral, you didn't just like create a cathedral, you got like a little stone to work on, you bash away at the stone, you think, what's the point in this? It's like a quarter of a lion or something, like a lion's bum that I'm working on. You know, like, what's the point? And then it's all finished and you see that lion's bum and you see that it's a part of an entire lion and without it, that lion wouldn't exist. And you see that actually you were a part of that cathedral and without you, that cathedral wouldn't have looked like that. And actually, in our own lives, we're not just talking about like now, here and now, and we're going to get like recreated and it'll all be fine and we'll know everything and we'll be perfect. I don't believe that. I believe that life, eternal life has started now. And the new creation has started now. And we are part of its creation. And then, I think... It's funny, I'll say this, I just thought of this randomly at the end when I was, when I was thinking about it all. Like, I grew up in a tradition which basically said, like, yeah, um, it, it clung very, very strongly to you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And it's not works. Don't ever focus on works, because works will not save you. It's grace alone, through faith alone. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, it's funny because actually it's my works that are going to save God's creation. Actually, God saved us. He breathed his life into us so that we could save the creation that he made extremely, unbelievably, very forcefully beautiful. And if I finish, it's an ongoing story. And it's the most beautiful story in the world and there's no wonder that Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all those great movies have copied it. <laughs> because it is the most beautiful story of the world. And he has chosen us as beautiful creations to bring it to be. So be steadfast and movable, always abounding in his ongoing story, knowing that every piece of redemptive work that you're a part of is meaningful and of and treasured by the Creator. Amen.